All right, still in Philippians chapter 1, putting in at verse 3 today. Not just verse 3, but starting at verse 3. Our nation and much of the world has been fixed, of course, upon the BP oil disaster. It occurred on April the 20th, claiming almost a dozen lives and causing incalculable damage to the Gulf of Mexico. Shareholders of that oil empire have had to watch somewhat helplessly as their investments plummeted over the last weeks, Uh, their shares being valued at less than half what they once were, I think. Their financial partnership is of little effect as the company attempts to end the stream of oil into the sea. I'm thinking of the, you know, day trader at home on his Mac, seeing his BP shares fall and fall and fall as he sits helplessly there as a shareholder. Now, as Christians, we are heirs with Jesus Christ of all the fullness of God and of his eternal life. Not only that, but God has constructed a situation by which we can invest and partner in his kingdom. After the second coming of Jesus Christ, once we have been glorified through either the rapture of the church or the resurrection from the dead in Christ, we will literally partner with the Lord in ruling and reigning for a thousand years. And that's uh, pretty exciting. However, that partnership in God's kingdom doesn't have to wait until we enter into eternity. In fact, as disciples, we have received a calling for this life on this earth, not to rule and reign, but to reach and to represent. That makes us active partners. We're not just shareholders who you know, bought in a few shares to this company, but we are active partners, co-laborers, co-developers, co-heirs in God's work on the earth right now. And so as recipients of God's grace, which we saw last week, you and I have fullness allotted to us. Our lives are meant to be powerful, they're meant to be meaningful, they're meant to be purposeful as we engage in this path that God has placed us on. And so this morning, Paul is going to point out three specific areas of fullness and opportunity for us. They are immensely practical and they're immensely important. In these five verses, we find that our lives should be full of these three things. Prayer to God, partnership in the gospel, partaking of grace. And so let's take a look at our text and then we'll see what we find there. Starting in verse 3, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, uh, for you all, excuse me, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers uh, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The key verse of this chapter and perhaps the entire book itself is verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Our lives are in progress with the Lord. However, we can stall that progress through sin or through carnality or, or simply through inaction. We can stop the production of fruit, we can harden our hearts, we can stumble, we can fall. Those are things that we can do as Christians according to God's word. Now, our salvation is secure, of course, but as the Bible says, some people are going to be saved as through fire on the day that they enter into eternity. And so, if we want to be saved completely, or if we want to be saved barely, as it were, that's up to us. And that's how the Bible presents it. He says, hey, this is salvation. I'm offering it to you. Here's the life that you can have. And here's what I want to do, the good work that I want to complete. 
but that's up to you how progressive you want to, you know, uh, how, how much progress you want to make in your life. For the disciple who submits to God and receives the plan of heaven, the end result is completion and fullness and satisfaction because it's a life led by the Spirit. And so if you want to be a partner with God whose life is effective, if you want to be a partner who doesn't just sit back but engages and takes part in the plan of God, then there are three things to evaluate and aim toward in this text. First one, our prayers to God. Paul said this back in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Prayer is mysteriously meaningful to the Christian. Whether our thoughts or our pursuits are mundane or whether they are monumental, they must be discovered and developed by prayer to the Lord. If speaking to God is not the thread of our daily action, then we have very little chance to accomplish the work of our Savior, either in our own lives or in the world around us. Apostle Paul was a man of prayer. His conversation with God had three basic parts in this text. First, remembering others. Second, thanking God. And third, being full of joy. Now, I find that most often my personal prayer life is the opposite of that, unfortunately. (laughs) You know, I find that often, instead of remembering others, I find that I'm thinking of myself in my prayers. Instead of thanking God, I find myself asking God. Instead of being full of joy... Oftentimes I find that my prayers are full of anxiety or discontent. Our prayer lives are always going to be changing and they're always going to be you know, developing and different times in our lives call for different sorts of conversation with the Lord and that's fine. Uh, depending on how we are maturing with the Lord as well, of course our prayer lives are going to be different. But Paul's style of prayer here is a good thing to emulate and it's a good you know, place to start from today. Because if we understand who we are in Christ, then we're going to be full of heavenly joy. And if we understand what it is Christ desires to do in our lives, then we're going to be overflowing with thankfulness. And if we understand how needy the people around us are for God's love and for God's grace, then we're going to be mindful of them that we might intercede on their behalf before the Lord. Because if I really get it, if I really get the fact that I am now a citizen of heaven, an heir with Jesus Christ, where the Lord is preparing me a place for all eternity, and if I really understand that God has a path and a plan that he has specially constructed for my life, which he has prepared that I might be his agent and that I might be his representative here on the earth. And if I truly understand that the third person of the Trinity lives within my heart and is empowering me to do what Jesus did, then my prayer life is going to be full of this sort of heavenly mindset that Paul had, where I am overjoyed and I am thanking God and I am asking things for others rather than constantly for myself. And of course, we understand that the more we biblically pray, the more we will hear the heart of God, and the more we will adopt the mind of God. And then we will be able to see the people around us the way that God sees them. So don't get me wrong, it's not wrong to ask things for yourself. It's not wrong to pray about situations that are going on in your life. But if that is the only characteristic of my prayer life, then I'm missing out on a more heavenly mindset that is others-oriented, and that is future-oriented, and that is God-oriented. Paul saw the Philippians this way, the way of heaven. He, he remembered them, and since he lived with a very full, very godly mindset, he was able to think of them the way that God thinks of them. He looked at the Philippians and he saw them as complete in Jesus Christ, even though they were still in progress. You know, They weren't perfected yet, but he saw them as people on their way to completion in the Lord. 
And so if I'm not actively making time to pray for others or to thank God or simply to receive the joy of the Lord in my conversation with him, then I'm simply missing out on the fullness that God is offering me in this area. That's what we're seeing here. And so here's our first point of application from this text. Today on your lunch break or before you go to bed or during your staff meeting or whenever, uh, do these three simple things. First, take time to just talk to the God about how he has saved you and the forgiveness of your sins. Experience that joy of knowing that you are free from sin and that you are forgiven and that you belong to a loving God. Second thing, thank the Lord for what he's given you, not just for food on the table, which is, you know, kind of a cultural thing that we do a lot of times, but, you know, thank the Lord for your life and for your family and for all the things that he's done for you and for all the ways that he's reaching out to you. And then third, I would just encourage all of us to pick a person in our church to someone and pray for them. Maybe it's a friend that you know, or maybe it's a stranger who you think, oh, you know, Lord, that one guy who sits like in front of me whose name I don't know. You know, pick somebody and just pray for them, that God would help them and that God would use them and God would revive them in every way. Just do that. These are steps toward a prayer life that is full and powerful. So first we saw the fullness of prayers to God, and second, Paul spoke of their partnership in the gospel. Verse 5 says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The Philippians had received Jesus and then they took up the call not just to believe but to be used as disciples to further the good news of Jesus Christ and to make other disciples. Paul was thankful that they had actively, personally partnered with him and with the rest of the church in the gospel. We need to be committed to furthering the gospel by whatever means that we can. That doesn't mean that we all have to become, you know, Johnny Appleseed style evangelists where we just roam the countryside and shout out Bible verses to people. You know, that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what the Lord calls all of us to do. However, it is easy for us to say, it's easy for me to say, oh yeah, I'm committed to the gospel. I'm committed to it. I, I believe all the right things. That's my commitment to the gospel. And then I, you know, can leave it at that. What we need to do is grab onto this idea that belief has to be met with action in the Christian life. The Bible says what? Faith without works is dead. It also commands us to go and make disciples, not to just be believers of doctrines. Belief is absolutely important. It is essential. It's fundamental. We must hold true to the true, we must hold to, excuse me, to the true gospel and we cannot divert from it. In fact, in his letter to the Galatians, Paul said, hey, if anyone tries to give you a different gospel, whether it's me, whether it's another person, whether it's an angel from God, if anyone tries to give you a different gospel, they should be accursed. And if you believe a different gospel than what you receive from us, you're going to be accursed as well. And so the things that we believe are very, very important. However, the Christian life is an active life which involves believing and doing. You can't have one and not the other. And from the first day when we were born again, new creations in Jesus Christ, from that day until now, like the Philippians, we have the opportunity to partner in furthering the gospel. Now, there are countless ways of partnering in the work of the gospel, especially in this day and age. You know, it, it is there are so many ways that we couldn't list all of them. Sharing the gospel has always been and always will be witnessing one on one to your family and personally evangelizing individuals that you come into contact with. That is the primary, you know, uh, furtherance of the gospel is person by person going and sharing Jesus Christ with people around you. 
But now, because of globalism and because of technology and all that kind of stuff, now we can further the gospel from one continent to another instantaneously and really pretty easily. And that's a really exciting thing to think about. Real life example. Let's talk about just today. For, the, for us here today, what can we do? You today and I today can further the gospel by praying for a coworker or giving them a Bible verse, shooting them an email with a Bible verse in there. On your lunch break, you can spread the gospel with a complete stranger by handing them an invite to our church, which has an evangelistic message on the back. Then tonight, when you come to Ignite, you can drop a nickel into the cafe tip jar, which goes to the Bridge of Hope program, so that kids in India can receive shelter and food and an education in the gospel. So those are three tiny things that you know we here can do that impact people all over our community and across the globe in a nation that most of us have never been to and never will visit. So you know, talk about the land of opportunity. I mean, America and the time we live in, we have we live in the land of opportunity to further the gospel from a computer or as we just walk around or you know by doing these small things. Now, these opportunities are only that; they're just opportunities. We can choose to engage in them, or we can choose to let them pass us by. We can choose not to share that Bible verse. We can choose not to hand out an invite or a tract to someone. We can choose not to drop a nickel into the jar. Partnering with the gospel is about our choices with our time and with our words and with our resources. And so we can keep those things to ourselves or we can invest that time and that energy and that, those resources into the kingdom. That is our choice. That's the same choice that Jesus Christ presented to every one of the disciples or other people that came to him. He says, okay, follow me. What are you going to do about that now? Are you going to do it or not? And so furthering the gospel isn't just about belief. It is about action applied to that belief. And so the application for us on this second point is to simply evaluate how we are working to spread the good news of Jesus Christ as individuals. Are we partnering in the gospel or are we just shareholders in a sense, allowing others to take part in the work? You know, are we like a shareholder in BP who sits at home and kind of day trades and, you know, well, I hope those people over there clean it up. You know, that's how that's how it goes in the world. You know, if you're uh, if you're a shareholder in Canada, of the you know, BP's company, there's not a lot you can do about the fact that they are enduring this incredible disaster. But that's not what we are called to in Christian service to the Lord and in God's economy, in God's kingdom. We get to be partners and shareholders. We're heirs of that inheritance, but we also partner with him in his work. So that's our option. Our option is to either you know, sit back and allow other disciples to do what the Lord needs doing or to further the gospel. But if our goal is to reach the destination of completion in the Lord, if our goal is to reach fullness, then we're never going to get there if we refuse to walk. The Bible says we're in a walk with the Lord. Paul says we're in a race with the Lord and run the race to win the race. And so if we refuse to walk, if we're always sitting and waiting and watching other people partner in the Lord's work, then we're going to be hard-pressed to make progress in our own lives on pretty much any spiritual level. The Philippians had day-to-day taken up the call to engage in God's plan for the world. They had determined, starting on day one, that they wanted to be partners in the gospel one way or another. That was the second highlight of these verses. And again, it doesn't mean it has to be some sort of really difficult, some monumental thing. It doesn't mean you have to go and rent a stadium and hope people come and hope a thousand people get saved. That's not what the Lord says. The Lord says, you know what? If you want to, I will use this nickel that you have as an opportunity to further the gospel. 
If you want to, I'll use this moment as an opportunity for you to share the gospel with a stranger. You may never see them again. You may never talk to them again. But a few seconds of handing somebody the gospel, I'll use that to further my work. The Lord says, I will use your email server as an op- opportunity to share the gospel if you want to engage on that. And there's so, those are just three really small things. And there's so many other ways that we can further the gospel as long as we determine from this day until you know, the day that we meet with the Lord, that, Lord, I want to partner with you, so bring me jobs to do that. So that was the second highlight. The third thing that Paul highlighted in this passage was that the Philippians were partakers of grace. Verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Again, three specifics given to us on this partaking of God's grace. First, they were partakers of grace in Paul's imprisonment. The Philippians had not forgotten about Paul, though in that era it was very difficult to travel or send correspondence. Information didn't, you know, travel quickly. But when they heard that he was being held prisoner in Rome, they sent a gift of love and support to the apostle that his needs might be supported and that his heart may be encouraged. And Paul was thankful for that. We can partake in the imprisonment of others, as it were, by sending aid in suffering. We can partake in God's grace by not forgetting the needs of others. While a person's eternal need is the most important thing, and we always have to remember that when we're talking about ministry, the eternal need is the most important thing. Physical needs and sufferings are also on the heart of God. There's no getting around that, and there's no denying that from the word. When those around us, either at home or abroad, are suffering in one way or another, we should seek God on how we might reach out to them with aid and support and encouragement and the grace of God. And so whether it's clothing the naked, whether it's feeding the hungry, giving a cup of water to someone who's thirsty, you know, like Jesus talked about, visiting those in prison, or whether it's rebuilding a home that was destroyed by, you know, some disaster or sending a box of toys to a child in the third world with Samaritan's Purse, Those sorts of actions are ways that we can partake in the grace of God. Second, they were partakers in grace by defending the gospel. Though we're talking a lot about action and helping those that are suffering and sort of physical things, we have to understand that those temporal issues are not above eternal issues. I don't want anybody to leave here thinking that, well, filling someone's stomach is more important than filling their soul with Jesus. That is not, you know, ever going to be our stance. However, you know, The action is important, but what we believe and what we teach does matter. It absolutely matters. The gospel is not simply social. It is eternal. Therefore, we must know what it is that we believe as Christians. We must defend it both in our own minds and in our own lives. And also when people would come into the church or attack from outside the church and and, and when they would try to go after the original teachings that we have received from God. The Bible does not teach that truth is relative. The Bible does not teach that you can speak wealth into your life. The Bible does not teach that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers and that a new revelation would come you know, through some American prophet who found mysterious golden tablets in the mountains and then lost them. The Bible does not teach those things and it's important that we believe the real gospel that was delivered to us. And so we need to defend the gospel from those who would dilute it, from those that would pervert it, or those that would redesign it. That's how you partake in grace, Paul says, by defending the gospel. Third way we partake in grace, in the confirmation of the gospel. The Philippians, their lives confirmed the message, uh, confirmed that the message of Christ was true. 
that men need salvation from sin, but that in Jesus Christ there is everlasting and abundant life. The Philippians' lives confirmed that Christianity was good news and that it made a difference in the hearts of people. Their lives confirmed that the gospel transforms a person from captive to free, from darkness to light, from death to life. Their lives confirmed that, and therefore they were partaking in grace. Their lives were a pointable testimony that proved that Jesus was Lord and that his power is effective for those who believe. And so a person seeing a Philippian Christian could look at them and see Jesus' message and his love lived out in their lives. They were a validation. They were a case study of who God is and what he does in the hearts of his people. And so the application for this point is a little bit more involved than the one for our prayers to God or our participation in the gospel. Because this point is all about the heart and surrendering our lives to God's grace and to his plan. And so this one isn't quite as easy as some of the others. Well, let's try doing these one, two, three things. So here's the application on this point. Today, as you think about your God and as you think about your life, try to look within and evaluate whether your life is a case study for grace or if your life testifies of something else. If you desire to partake in the grace of God, then follow in the example and the footsteps of Jesus who loved and who served and showed compassion and showed forgiveness and showed patience and long-suffering and who drew near to God the Father day by day, moment by moment. And so this is your life. You are a shareholder in the kingdom of God, yes, but you are also a partner in God's kingdom if you're willing to engage. You have the opportunity to be active in this kingdom that the Lord is establishing. So get on the field, put your back to the work, take up more of the fullness of God as you go out today in His strength and in His empowering. Amen?